Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Oh, today's episode is incredible. I have Liz Hazelmeyer on the podcast today, and we are talking about nutrition because so much of what we do in the garden, growing our veggies, our herbs, our fruit, is try to give ourselves and our families better nourishment and higher nutrients and just the best possible food, right? But most of us are not growing and replacing every single thing. So Liz is going to talk us through just this incredible way of whole food eating and the system that she has designed. It is so remarkable. I cannot wait to have you hear from her. Hello, beautiful Miss Liz. How are you? So good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to have this conversation today, like from a deeply selfish place, um, which usually means I feel like a lot of listeners are going to be so jazzed about it. I love it. I love chatting with friends. I love chatting about food. So I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I'm excited. Okay. So a little bit of background. Liz and I are in a business mastermind together and we call it a mastermind, but it's really a group of women that own their own businesses. And we kind of just riff off each other and send back ideas and questions. Like it's almost like a support group. Um, (laughs) It's really helpful just to have all of us together to sort of mind meld. Um, So that's how I first got to know you. And I know we've been in similar spaces when it comes to like seasonal eating and homesteading and all those beautiful things. But Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about how you introduce yourself. Like in terms of someone's like, what do you do? Oh my gosh. I'm so bad at this question. The worst I know. I get asked (laughs) a lot. So it's like, what do I do? Right. I feel very much like I have such a passion to just share what our family has learned in our own home. And our family has gone through a wild transformation of health, of our understanding of food, of our reverence for food. And so I, everything I do is built around that. I want to learn more and I want to share it with other people. So I started out basically you know, I grew up in the nineties eating very traditional nineties processed foods. My mom also like home cooked. And so it was like that weird blend of like sort of real food, but like everything was like kind of half fake food and had a, you know, pretty bad eating disorder as a teen. So food kind of became my enemy. And it, I went through treatment of that. And, and after I recovered from that, I still didn't really know what like real nourishment was like real deep nourishment until um, we had our second baby and she like her health necessitated, I figure out our food. She was born with a birth defect that we didn't know where it came from. And our other, like, I just felt like our family's wellness was not there. And mm. I think so many people can relate to that. It like, it takes, totally. you, yeah, it's like slapped in the face by chronic sickness or a weird diagnosis you didn't think of, or in our case, something we had never heard of before. And Um, So that was really hard and, but I'm really thankful for it because it was a wake up call and it kind of propelled me into this space of like, okay, if, if 
this is happening and I'm seeing physical manifestation in my beautiful newborn daughter. And no one can tell me why this is happening. She was born with clubbed feet. So both of her feet were kind of turned in and um, not correctly formed. I mean, her feet were fine. We had to go through processing to turn them out. But still, I was like, okay, if this thing is happening and no doctor can tell me why, um, is it something like, can I start contributing to the conversation? Can I start contributing to maybe the health of our kids? And it, it sounds ridiculous, but that's like the first time I really put those two together, you know? No, 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 I wait. Just, I, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but it's oh. so crazy to me because I think, I don't think I would have thought I have a place in this conversation. These things, I feel like the medical community is like, oh, these things just happen. I wouldn't have been like, wait, let's backtrack and see if like nutrition and like deeper health plays a part of it. So Mm -hmm. I think even in my mind right now, which I'm trying to train to question everything, I would have been like, oh, you know, how crazy, like, let's, you know, follow the bouncing ball. So tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it took, and that was like the culminating event, right? There were other things too. Like my firstborn had a lot of chronic breathing issues, sort of like an asthmatic attack um, chronically that we were bopped around from children's hospital to children's hospital. Mm. And when I think about all these things together, and then I also consider how I trashed my own health with my eating disorder, I started to realize like, no, there is a connection. And I wasn't feeding myself real food. I wasn't feeding my family real food. And it, it went even beyond that of like, what's in our home, what environmental uh, toxins might be in our home, how can we support an, a natural home? And what about my lifestyle? What about my stress? What about my energy, my activity level? All these things kind of started coming into question. And I catapulted into this concept of real food when actually we needed a solution to feed our young, our middle at the time who, um, was like four months old. And I was like, well, she's really, really not doing well on this formula, this commercial formula. I'm buying like organic commercial formula, like really expensive. And I stumbled across a raw milk homemade formula. And I was like, that's crazy whack. I would never do that. And then I learned more and then I learned more and more and more and dove into the whole raw milk thing. And that's when I was like, whoa, there's a whole new world here. There's a whole new world of foods that we would have traditionally eaten and had access to and produced in a way that's healthy and clean for us that is so removed from where we are today. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of kicked off my journey. And then the whole homegrown thing really started in um, 2019 when I was like, I want to package everything I've learned and teach it to my girls. And we homeschooled. And I was like, how can I package everything I'm learning and and put it in a format where it can facilitate conversations with Sophie, who at the time was in the second grade? I was like, how could, like, let's go. Let's do this. I was mm. newly home from work. I, I'd like quit a corporate job. You know, you've got all this energy. You're like, I'm just working. <laughs> and so I'm like, what can I do? I know how to write. I know how to design. Like I can hire people to help me. Like, so let's go. And then I wrote a a curriculum for Sophie and then I ended up writing more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And now here we are three years later and Homegrown has like five resources. We're about to come up with another one and it's, it's been a wild ride. So it's been really, really fun. Tell me more about these resources. So what are they and how do you use them? 
Yeah. So for a while I sold physical workbooks. So I was getting the curriculum that I had. I created a curriculum for third through sixth grade, which was kind of where Sophie was at at the time. And then when Ruthie was ready to get some work done, I was like, oh, let's create like a pre-K version, like pre-K through second grade to fill in that space. Right. And so I wrote these curriculums uh, curricula, I guess is the plural form, but I, I w- used to sell the printed physical copies of them, which was wonderful. And, um, but I, I'm still a homeschooling mom and my husband owns his own business. And then we have a third business and I was like, I can't ship this stuff anymore. So mm. the books themselves are really, really beautiful. They're designed to be really enticing for kids. I wanted it to to be visually appealing. I didn't want it to be like boring. I was like, this is food. Like it's fun. Let's go. Mm. Like Let's come up with activities. They learn how to make a cheese board. They talk about meal planning with their parents. Like they get to watch a documentary and have conversations about it. They get to fill in. They get to do handwriting. They get to learn about chickens, et cetera. So it, it was really fun writing the children's resources. And then from there, we moved into creating what I would called what's for dinner and what's for breakfast, which were like these meal plans. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, this is a source of tension in my home. Like, what the heck is for dinner? <laughs> I hate that question. Mm-hmm. And then what's for dinner came out and everyone's like, make a what's for breakfast. Cause that's the hard one too. Right. Especially if you think about, okay, if we're stepping outside of the traditional American norm and we're not just pouring ourselves a bowl of cereal, well then yeah, breakfast gets complicated really quick when you move mm-hmm. away from convenience. So what can we do? How can we set our kids and ourselves up to have a nourishing breakfast that's satiating, that's protein forward, that's got fiber in it. If we um, do have something a little sweet, so it's not like jacking up our blood sugar right away. So these, all of these things I've just kind of weaved together um, into resources to help other families. And so right now they're offered as digital resources, but we have another one coming out that I'm super excited, which is being called the real food framework. I wanted something Mm -hmm. to say take your what's for dinner, your recipes and your shopping lists and all that, and take your what's for breakfast. But like, let's talk about how you think about food and how you approach meal planning, honestly, as just an amazing, um, really, really optimized family kitchen. Like how Um, can we get you efficient and understand how to feed your family well through a framework that can be applied if you're traveling, if you're in a weird season, if you don't have access to XYZ. Like it's not going to be excluding people who are in various stages of life because it's a framework that can be applied to all. And that's a beautiful thing for us. So I'm I'm really, really excited about that one. Oh my God. I'm so excited for this because so one of the reasons that I love gardening is obviously growing our own food for the nutritional benefits. And it's multifold. There is way more nutrition in the actual vegetables grown in our healthy soil, um, completely free of any synthetic or chemical interventions. But then there's also the fact that we're getting not only more nutrition per vegetable, more vegetables on the plate, eating seasonally, Mm -hmm. um, which increases the nutritional value. But even with all of that being said, so like not buying from the grocery store, which has tons of chemicals and it's not as nutrient dense, all that. I feel like my husband and I still, we were born in the 80s, so just a little Mm -hmm. bit before you. Um, Mm -hmm. We never had nutritional education. We had like the old school food pyramid. And the way our parents cooked for us, 
that food was entirely different, first of all. Like the actual produce was different right. chemically. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't feel like in a pinch, We it's like we are so um, trained. And I feel like I've gotten out of this mindset. But to think about like, you, we're disconnected from what our body is telling us. The difference between a craving and also feeling hungry, we have a really hard time differentiating between those things. And then mm-hmm. also, okay, if I'm ha- if I'm hungry and craving something salty, something sugary, or I had something, we're so disconnected from like the way our body is reacting to the food already in our system, and then how to nourish ourselves in ways like you said that are satiating and that like set us up for success throughout the day. And I feel like we need to be re-educated and reprogrammed around like all of those things. Like so simply, like if you're yeah. feeling like you're like a salty craving, this is what you should have. Or if your day is going to be really busy, this is, you know, and I'm starting to understand that now, like the kids for Halloween, I'm like, okay, you need to have like a protein heavy, fat heavy, fiber heavy breakfast so that all the sugar that hits your system isn't quite, it's not quite as bad, you know? But mm-hmm. I don't know, old school, I feel like people, you know, they're like, oh, carb loads, you have energy. It's like, well, that's just good. That's more sugar. That's just going to create mm-hmm. more dysregulation. So anyways, this isn't about me. I want to hear more about how you approach feeding your family and this sort of quote unquote, I guess I want to take it back to this quote unquote, what does it mean to eat healthy? Because yeah. I don't, it's not just eating a salad for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know what Definitely. I mean? Like how do we nourish ourselves properly throughout the day? Yeah, I love that. And it's so funny because like the first lesson of the first workbook I ever wrote was literally called forgetting the pyramid. Like let's drop Mm. it. Let's forget the pyramid. And I talk a lot about what the USDA dietary guidelines are and where they kind of fall short or differ from maybe a more biologically traditional ancestral diet. Um, And so we make that comparison in the book, but you're so right. Like what is a healthy diet? And then you throw in allergies and food restrictions. You've got gluten-free, dairy-free, you've got corn-free, soy-free, and then you throw in different kind of diets and ideologies like paleo and keto and mm-hmm. pro-metabolic and all of these things, right? Jumbling right. up the mess in your head. Right. And then you're like, okay, seed oils. Now I need to be like oh, watching out. Like my girlfriend <laughs> called me the other day um, and she was like coming from a ranching background. And she was like, can you tell me what the experience of grocery shopping is like for you? And I was like, how long do you have? <laughs> how long do you have? And I feel like I'm actually kind of like awake. But mm. to to what's going on, but I'm I'm totally not because it's overwhelming. That's the bottom line. Is like I want to remain. It's it's like the inconvenient truth of it all feels so heavy, and it's like I think I'm trying to be in denial. Like what I'm doing is good enough, but actually want to be really open to like okay, if we were gonna start over from ground zero and you were gonna like teach a kid how to feed themselves. Where do we start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that question. So the fra- the framework that I'm building out right now is for exactly you to be able to take it and say, okay, let's let's apply this and let's start changing our our life as a family. So the the overarching framework of the whole book is that we're going to one, we're going to approach food through a historical lens, which means we're going to take a really really critical look at things that are often um, touted as really amazing, uh, 
inventions in the food space, right? All of our lab-grown meat, genetic modification, even agrochemical, um, the the heavy use of agrochemicals and, and synthetic pesticides and herbicides, right? All of that stuff is new. Like let's let's take a historical approach to food. What would we have access to? We would have had to eat seasonally. Um, I'm in Ohio. I probably wouldn't have had a ton of seafood, right? So like we hunt and so we have access to tons of venison. That's a lot. That's a big portion of our red meat consumption is venison, which to me makes sense. I'm in Ohio. There's tons of deer here. So I think taking a historical lens to food allows us to peel back the layers of food politics and food ideology before a time when food was so incredibly controlled by industry and sort of what I'm going to say, government's approach to tell people how to be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. So before all of that, what what did we eat? We Well, we ate whole simple foods, right? We ate seasonal vegetables. We ate meat that we had access to. We had dairy in its raw form, fermented, but also, you know, it wasn't pasteurized and homogenized. We had lots of things in the raw form, frankly. And so let's take a historical lens to food, peel back the layers, kind of what did we eat before mass industrialization of our food system. Then the second part of the framework is like, hey, let's figure out how to mitigate your toxin exposure because there's toxins in your food supply, tons, okay? It's not just pesticides and herbicides, okay? We're talking about PFAS that are being applied to agricultural land under the EPA, and then they're they're in the form of biosolids, and they're testing so high in PFAS that they're literally telling people in Maine, don't eat the deer that you're hunting because the deer are eating off the corn in these fields that are testing so high for PFAS, it will be bad for your family. Wait, so there's t- what? Yes, it's wild. So there's there's all these levels of toxin exposure or um i mean i i don't like i don't like scaring people but i i think that there is a need to have an awareness around what is in our food and the belief that the us has the safest and cleanest food supply is not something that i think is true i think we have a food safe food supply in the sense of maybe people have controlled how much potential outbreak can happen but if you look at our ingredients if you look at our um, processing, denaturing of our foods, right? It's, it's not real food anymore. So we, we look at the toxin exposure. How can we eliminate that or at least learn more about them in both food and water? And then, um, you know, we're going to talk about water. Water is so tricky, right? (laughs) And then the the third piece of this framework is like, Hey, we're going to talk about how to maximize your, your ingredients that you're using, right? Because you can take a, cat, a head of cabbage and eat that and shred that up and make a salad, but you can make sauerkraut and you mm. would then have a living probiotic, delicious fermented food. That's like going to be so nourishing to you. You could take your whole chicken and bake it in the oven and serve it for dinner, but then you can also take the chicken carcass and the leftover bones and meat and you can make a beautiful rich stock. So like, let's stretch every single ingredient, not only so your budget is more like better utilized, but also you're squeezing out all of the amazing nutrition you possibly can, right? There's some vegetables that I don't eat raw. I don't ever eat just like gobs of raw kale. I don't, I don't even really <laughs> eat spinach raw. I'll mm. saute spinach. I'll make a quick little sauteed spinach. I did that yesterday mm. with onions and bacon for lunch. It was so good. Like mm. so good. 
So the third key is really talking about like, how can we maximize each ingredient for optimum nutrition? And then the fourth piece is like, Hey, how can you optimize your family kitchen? How can you get better at meal planning? How can you think about meal planning by saying, okay, I'm going to hit my protein. I'm going to offer something fresh and fermented. I'm going to have a weekly serving of a hidden organ meat somewhere in there because we're, mm. we're severely lacking in our fat soluble vitamins. Um, and I'm going to use as much dual purpose food as I can. Maybe that mm. means I make a double batch of a side one night and then I serve the rest the next. Maybe that means I cook a chicken every week so that I can make stock later in the week to cook my rice or my soup. Mm. So the book is big and extensive, but it's basically saying you can follow whatever quote diet you think you want to follow under these real food kind of principles and frameworks, but it's guiding you towards something that's going to be more wholesome, more simple, just like really simple. Like I'm a big proponent that if you eat real fresh food, you really just need salt and pepper. Mm. You can have some and dried herbs too, but you don't need mixed taco mix. Like you don't Mm. need a ranch packet in your pantry. You just don't need it. So simple is better in my mind. Okay. So I actually didn't even know we were going to talk about your framework in this upcoming book. And I literally, how do I get on the list? Like ASAP (laughs) for the pre-order, whatever. I know it'll be like a digital download, but like, I'm so excited. Um, But this is exactly what I was looking for, which is a framework for reviewing, because I was going to say like re-seeing, but I literally mean like to see again, reviewing the way that we approach nourishing ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I found that when I say, instead of like, I'm hungry, like I need to nourish myself mentally, it completely changes the way I view what I put in my body. And I feel like I read that in a book somewhere, but like, um, I also think it's a really great opportunity for people to just start again. Like, let's mm-hmm. just, like you said, forget the pyramid. Let's like, let's just start again. And so I guess my instinct is how do people beat the overwhelm? And for the average, like suburbanite. So someone that's like, like me, like I live 10 minutes from five different grocery stores and a bunch of Starbucks and a bunch of Target. There is mm-hmm. a local farm near us. I'm really grateful it's wildly expensive because they pay everyone a living wage, which is, we're so happy about, but also like, oh, okay, this is an eye opener as well. Grow yeah. my own food, but I would say most people I know don't. So mm-hmm. what are your recommendations? How do we begin again with like the grocery store as our biggest tool? Yeah. But also being well, open to like, go find a farm or like, are maybe there are great people that can ship ingredients to you. I want to hear your perspective on bulk ingredients too, and also grains, because I feel like that's a really big part of everyone's diet. So how do we approach grains and flours? And do you feel like, because maybe the answer is not convenient. And I know I'm asking like 10 questions at once. Do we need to readjust our priorities at home so that we can be cooking, spending more time on this? Mm, That's such a good question. I'll answer that one last. So The beautiful thing is like, I also live in the suburbs. I don't have acreage. I don't produce my own food except for a garden that I actually have at my parents' house because they have flatter land with more sunlight. And last summer we skipped the garden because we were launching a third company and I was like, garden's going to have to wait. Okay. So I also like you have access to like 10 different grocery stores. Um, 
And I think you can have real food in the suburbs. I think you can have real food in the city. I think you can have real food in the country. I think everywhere has their own challenges. And I think everywhere has their own beautiful opportunity to participate both in your local food economy and also benefit from some of the wide distribution and lower prices we have because we have an industrial food system, okay? So I criticize our industrial food system a lot because I think it actually takes food and makes it more into a profit and less um, more profitable for its company and less nutritious for its end user versus maybe when you're purchasing from a farm, it's going to be less profitable to the farm, but more nutritious to the end user. Mm. And I don't really think that we were designed to all be eating from the same trough. I don't think we were supposed to all have the same exact food and the same exact and consistent food season through season. I think we were meant to eat locally what we had around us. So I like to do that in two different ways. One, I absolutely shop at Kroger. Like I live in Cincinnati, headquarters Kroger is headquartered here. We mm. we are Kroger kings, right? Um, and so I definitely grocery shop once a week at a big box grocery store. I like Fresh Time or Whole Foods or some of the other smaller places because I can sometimes find better options for a decent price. But I'm absolutely grocery shopping once a week. I also have identified a local farm where I can get things like raw dairy. I can get pastured meats if I want from them. I can get local seasonal produce year-round, um, depending on what they have. So, I mean, they'll sell so they'll sell winter squash all winter, and then as soon as spring hits, they'll have strawberries for like two weeks. And then in the summer, it's a big abundance of stuff. And then, like last night, I just got my farm order. They have apples right now. These little adorable little acorn squashes. They were so cute. Or they weren't, they were something else. There's some other squash that were so cute. So anyway, so I am buying from them every single week as a contributor to like what I say my local food economy would be. And then I use resources, like you mentioned, places that can ship to me that might have a better price. So I really like Thrive Market because for me, I figured out what's cheapest on Thrive versus what's cheaper at Kroger. Like a great example would be spite organic spices, almost always a dollar cheaper on Thrive Market than at mm. Kroger, just okay. across the board. Yeah. And then, but then like I go to Kroger to get like my organic ketchup and mustard and condiments because it tends mm. to be a little bit cheaper there. Um, so I've kind of, I've written like lists of like, okay, what am I going to get here and what am I going to get there? And then because we eat pretty simply, you know, I'm buying the same things over and over. Mm -hmm. I'm not constantly using new brain power to discover, read another label. I kind of stick to the same, you mm -hmm. know, all in probably 75 products that I buy flat mm -hmm. in my whole kitchen. Mm -hmm. So that's super helpful. So I think eliminating overwhelm, one, you don't have to have a sub, like don't the, your first step on your real food journey shouldn't be trying to figure out a substitute for your ranch packet. Like mm. that's too granular. You need to mm. zoom out. Are you eating enough? <laughs> Are you eating enough whole real food? Are you allowing yourself to have time to cook that food, right? For yourself and for your family. Mm. Are you eating something fresh or fermented once a day at least? Like I'm not like you have to eat a big salad, but can you add a, a piece of fruit to your lunch? Can you make homemade sauerkraut? It's so stinking easy and so mm. cheap. Um can you dive into some of the more um, unprocessed, less processed versions of the food you already love? You know, can you make bread from home if mm. you want to eat bread? 
So those are the questions I would be asking. I think sometimes people want to like flip over one label and be like, I need to find an alternative. And it's like, don't start there. Right. Well, and I think that it kind of is a little bit of a tough love. Like I'm actually, we're not trying to help you eat the same in a healthier (laughs) version. We're actually just, we're, we're going to, we're scrapping it. We're starting over. We're not trying to discover how we can like eat hot wings with ranch. We're trying, we're, we're just moving into a new echelon. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people get hung up too, is they want, they're so, they're so like, um, God, I don't know the word, but like almost upset, like desperately holding on to like the security blanket of, I don't want to miss out on the flavors that I love and the positive experience of food that's having a negative experience on me. But I also think it's because we have an addiction to the chemical reaction we have to really bad food and toxins. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a whole nother layer where you might not even realize what the food is giving you feels good until you like almost detox from that and then reintroduce what it actually means to feel good from your food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's, here's two things I'd say about that. One um, it's, you mentioned it earlier, but it's really, really hard to differentiate like a true fruit food craving. Like if you were like, I'm going to eat in with my intuition. Mm, I, intuitive eating. Right. This is, I love, I love when women say this, I'm going to be intuitive in my eating. That's totally fine. Just know that like, if your intuition is guiding you towards a flaming hot Cheeto, it's the MSG in the, (laughs) like it's not that your body is craving a nutrient in the flaming hot Cheeto. So we have, we have to remember that one, our taste bud and our experience with food, even the level of crunchiness that is, you know, manufactured Mm. is not even often represented in the same way in nature. And so all of that stuff has, has been training our body to respond a certain way to food. And so, yeah, it's going to be hard because you're going to have to find ways to get used to the homemade versions of stuff. Now I am a big proponent and like, I don't feel like I miss out on any food. I feel like I love pizza. I make really amazing sourdough crust pizza, organic tomato sauce, organic cheese in my own oven it's way better than anything I could ever order at a restaurant, literally. So, you know, if you love chicken wings, like you mentioned, you can roast off chicken and make your own sauce and it doesn't have to be deep fried and awful vegetable oil, right? From a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So you can definitely find ways to make your favorite foods nourishing. Um, but it takes time and practice. And I think that was your last question is like, should we be reorienting ourselves? I absolutely think we should. The first way I think we should is I think you should be spending more on your food than you probably are because if food is not your number one or your number two biggest expense, then you're, you probably have room to, to bump it up a little bit because, I used to sit in this space of like, oh, squeeze it into like $80 a week, $80 a week. And now it's like that that wouldn't even have us halfway nourished. Wait, wait, wait. That that wouldn't even cover it. Okay. We're also a family of five and I have become, I am not a numbers person. I'm not like, this isn't, maybe it's a new me. My husband and I have been trying, we've been like having all these, we're just trying to get granular granular about everything in our life and sort of reevaluate it. And so the finances were like a big part of that. And I'm the grocery store shopper. And every Sunday I take my daughter and we do it together. And it's our one-on-one time. And I started noticing I do spend the exact same amount every week. And I'll actually be completely honest because I want to have this conversation. 
We spend about $345 on food a week Mm -hmm. at a minimum. And that's like, if I go to just one grocery store to get the basics, basics, quote unquote. And so it is, it is one of the largest expenses, like, you know, variable recurring expenses that we have a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder what the average family of five spends on food or what the benchmark should be. And that's actually with me not making my best effort, if I'm being totally honest. That's not me using the skills I do have to bake our own bread, make our own pasta. I cook all, almost all of our meals from scratch, but I mm-hmm. still would, I give myself a C writing on the way I feed my family, if I'm being dead honest. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. I would Exposed. say, no, I, I, I think that that's really good. The transparency is helpful for people. So I would say our weekly grocery shopping trip is between 250 to 300 at like our quote Kroger, right? Mm-hmm, and that's every mm-hmm. single week. Okay. That doesn't get what I spend at my local farm for my mm-hmm. milk, my eggs, and my produce. We okay. And then we got beef in bulk. Mm-hmm. So that was a big expense that already happened. Mm-hmm. So I could divide that up by by 12 months or or whatever. And then we hunt wild game. So mm-hmm. we also have that. And then- Expensive tags and, hunt and ammo and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, cool. it, it, hunting is is for sure expensive. Um, and my my father in law and brother in law just got two moose from Newfoundland. So even like driving <gasps> up there, that it, bring cool. it back, right? Now we have two hundred pounds of moose in my freezer, but like it, it wasn't free. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, we have those expenses, but I would say our weekly budget between two fifty and three hundred a week. Some people that might be like, oh my goodness, you know that's insane. But for me, I'm like, I, we don't have multiple car payments. We bought a house and it a very modest, reasonable house in a time where the market was great. And I'm so thankful for our home, but like we don't have a gigantic mortgage. We have deleted every paid streaming thing that we have. So we don't pay for any streaming. Um, sometimes we bomb off of our family members, but we don't pay for anything. Um, and then we, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, oh, our health insurance is huge. So because Mm. we're self-employed, um, we actually do like a health sharing situation and that, that costs us total 315 a month for a family of five, which is way, way, yeah, exactly. Way cheaper than what we were paying. So we dropped our health insurance plan in quotes, we um, didn't, what I drive a 22 year old minivan, which I'm pretty sure needs some work because it was shaking on the way to school. <laughs> um, and we just made conscientious decisions. This doesn't mean like I think we're like the tightest on our money ever, but we had decided a long time ago that we were going to put our money into something that's going to fuel us every single day. And mm. we don't compromise when it comes to our food, but we also don't buy all of the quote, healthy, organic junk food that costs a lot of money. So like Mm -hmm. if you go to the store, there's so much conversation around like, I can't afford raw milk. It's so expensive. And I'm like, a bag of chips is like 550 right now. And that bag of chips lasts you about 20 minutes. Think about your own nutritional benefit. Yeah. Think about the nutritional benefit of the actual foods you're eating. I I would take, I would take $8 eggs any day over $5 and 50 chips, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like half air. So that's just one example, but we are particular about, you know, what we're eating and what we spend our money on. And I'm like, 
I won't buy um, granola bars. I won't buy... Now, we do have like once a week a snacky thing that can be fun. And so sometimes I'll buy like one box of something that's fun. But in general, I'm not stocking things for everyday eating that are going to be higher priced for maybe lower nutrient impact than what I would like. So, mm. Okay. Another question for you. So for anyone listening also, I feel like there's often a one-sidedness in a marriage when it comes to the the values or the changes that want to be made. Because, mm. and so how do you address this if you're all in and maybe your husband isn't? Or like, mm. do you have any tips on that when it comes to like transitioning the family? If you're like, okay, I want to make changes, but like you're really nervous your spouse or your kids are going to be resistant or not all in or not wanting to be on your happy train of nutrition. <laughs> totally. I I feel lucky in that my husband Joey went to culinary school and so he's always had like a really <sighs> high respect for food and nourishment and he understands that. He's also a hunter, so he's got like the piece of it where he has with his own hands brought food to the table. And so when I brought up things initially like hey, I think we should focus more on this, da, 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 he kind of fell right in line and was like, "Yeah, I think that makes sense." He also saw how sick we were and how much our health improved. And so it wasn't like I was like, oh my gosh, by the way, I'm spending 3X more on my groceries. It was like our end goal was the the health and wellness of our kids. And then finally we adopted that too. I feel like we put our kids first then and then we adopted that. And now he's so on board because as a man, he's very performance driven. So mm -hmm. if you have a husband who um, is like, loves getting in the gym, wants to like run a marathon, is really interested in like having a physically active hobby. You can get him on board with real food by encouraging him that like eating real food and nourishing him, his body is going to increase his performance in whatever he wants to do. If he has a really like labor intensive job, this will help your work. Like it will literally benefit you. So you can, you can approach it in that lens through that lens, or you could say, Hey, this is how I see it affecting our family. Um, food is our opportunity every single day to treat our bodies with respect and love. And it is so critical. And I think we have such a health crisis right now because we have lost that respect for food. Totally. And so often I'll talk to someone with like a diagnosis and they're just like, oh, I just feel like changing my diet would be like the really long road. And I was like, I understand that this food might not heal you overnight, but if you actually consider that you're eating every single day, those chances are actually more immediate for you to be able to make changes in your body than mm. perhaps whatever other treatment plan you're going through. So mm. pair, it, pair it along with whatever you're doing, right? So I think... Talking about the benefit for either your husband or your kids or yourself is more important to start out with. Like you have to be on the same page of your why. I doubt if you talk to any husband or father and you're like, I think what we're feeding our kids is going to produce mediocre health and I'm cool with that. Like they're, they're not <laughs> I want my kids to have optimum health. Like I yeah. want them to I don't want them to suffer from the same things so many of their classmates are suffering from, right? Like, I don't want them to have the same health outcomes I had, right? So mm -hmm. that's a big piece of it. I think starting with the why, if they're people who, if, if they're interested in like the intellectual side and they want facts, 
I have so many book recommendations I could mm, give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many good documentaries that actually mm. have a male narrator, which yeah, is yeah. really cool because it's not just like girly fluff, right? It's mm. like actual stories of like these really manly men in, in regenerative ag. So documentaries are a great way to get them on board. And then just in general, like, hey, let me show you what we can do with our family. And I'm going to commit to making this work well in our home because of these are the tools that I'm gathering, right? Yeah. I'm going to learn how to implement these things. I'm going to learn how to grocery shop and I'm going to learn how to prep this food and et cetera. So I think the conversation can be had. Sure. I think the last thing to say is like, don't switch it overnight. Like mm. don't just all of a sudden rip the bag of Cheetos out of your husband's hand and be like, Hey, we're not doing this anymore because he <laughs> might suggest. Yeah. 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 And he might need to learn his favorite recipe and learn how to make it more nourishing so that he can ease into it. Same thing with your kids. Give yeah. Yeah. Time. Yeah. So here's the other question I want to ask. So children's behavior. So when you hear parents talking about behavioral issues, I'm curious which ones for you stand out as red flags where internally you're like, diet change, diet change, diet change, diet change. I'm curious what those are, if you could share that Mm -hmm. with us. And if you have examples of like shifts that you've seen make a really big difference. Mm. Yeah. Whenever I think about like my parents trying to raise kids or my grandparents trying to raise kids, I don't think that their parenting journey was as challenging as parents have it today. I just don't think it was. I think it was challenging for maybe other reasons, but in terms of like the physiological health of the next generation that comes after, I think it's constantly on the decline unless we turn it around. As if, and you can absolutely do that. I believe in that wholeheartedly. I believe in epigenetics and the fact that our, our genes, yes, are, provide a roadmap, but we can influence their expression. And so I think that the best way to influence positive expression of genes is through food. And so whenever I hear something that deviates from what I'm going to consider like typical childhood behavior... I'm going to assume that maybe there's a stressor coming from the foods they're they're consuming, maybe something in their water, maybe, you know, I think other things play into it too, stressful home environments, um, all kinds of things. But for me and things I've seen in my kids, I have seen much more stable moods, much more stable moods. I My seven-year-old had an absolute meltdown the other day, a fresh time in the checkout line, which is crying tears down her face, just like throwing a fit. It was so odd because she wanted a toy. And it that's like one of the first times I think in the last, like, I'm going to say year and a half that she's had that encounter. And I know parents that deal with that every single day. Totally. So it didn't scare me. It didn't freak me out. But I was like, girl, friend, like you are stressed. Like we need to calm down. And then when she, when she was calm, I, I had her talk to me about it. So, I mean, I would ask yourself and like, and when I'm looking at my own kids, right, I'm thinking like, are we dealing with like constant disrupted sleep? Are you always waking up? Mm. Are we dealing with the biggest thing I, I've seen in my own kids and others is like poor digestion. Like mm. your child has um, either like really runny stool or super constipated. And if their digestion is off, like we got to get that figured out. Mm. Um, allergies, eczema, things like that, that I've seen too. And a lot of, um, friends and even like our middle had terrible, terrible eczema. 
until we changed her diet. And so I think anything on the skin is an outward expression of what's happening within. And people have said like, your skin is kind of the last little warning sign that your body's trying to tell you. So Hmm. it's worked its way up to the surface, right? So let's, Hmm. let's tackle this from what's deep inside. Um, I think a lot of the constant, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I need more food or kind of grouchiness around food, like hangriness. I think mm. that's just blood sugar dysregulation. I mm. think as soon as parents learn about blood sugar and how you can regulate it by eating enough protein, by having enough fiber, by limiting your actual access to glucose, which is in any carb, right? That gets broken down. Um, that's going to really, really help your kids have more stable moods because they're not on this roller coaster and they're not all of a sudden tanking and so tired in the afternoon. Mm. So those are some of the things that I think about when I think about how healthy home environment with your food can really impact your kids' behavior. Totally. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to hear, so you said you have a bunch of book and documentary recommendations. I may actually put that in the show notes and have you send that to me offline, but I do want to ask, because we're running short on time, what your favorite book recommendations are along these lines. I normally ask everyone for their favorite gardening book. So if you have one of those, but if not, Mm -hmm. um, just like, if you're just like, oh my God, everyone has to read this. Oh, this is so good. I'll try to keep it short. I'm also like right next to my bookshelf that has all my favorite books. So I know it's like, um, I'm, if you're into books, everyone's always like, can I tell you 10? Right now I'm reading Deep Nutrition um, by Dr. Kate Shanahan. Highly recommend. It's very dense, very long. It will change your entire family's view on food. Highly recommend. She's an MD if that's helpful for people. Hmm. So Deep Nutrition is phenomenal. I think if you are interested in the topic of raw dairy, which can get dicey, but it's so important to understand, um, the raw milk revolution or the untold story of milk are great book recommendations. Um, I'm also going to say, oh, the glucose revolution game changer. It will teach you everything you need to know about glucose regulation, why the American diet is so messed up and why you and your kids are so grouchy. Um, why you need a nap at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like just, it's so illuminating to so many different things. So Mm. I'm going to leave it at that. I could give you so many more, but those are good. Final question. This is a totally selfish question. I can buy raw milk at the grocery store in California. Mm -hmm. Is it this, but is it the same as getting raw milk from like a farmer? Yeah. Yeah. So California is one of those lucky states. I think there's 13 total in the United States that can buy raw milk, unpasteurized milk. It's probably also non-homogenized. Well, I know for sure it is because you can only homogenize if you pasteurize, but you can buy it off your grocery store shelves. Like what a freaking blessing that is. I have to be a part of a private um, membership association and which is fine. I can access it that way. Some states it's like really, really hard to access. Mm. So yeah, that raw milk, um, I'm guessing it's probably by raw farms. If mm-hmm. I'm, um, assuming your access to it yep. and that's a larger dairy operation. Um, Mark McAfee is the guy, the CEO, the owner of that, but he's a huge advocate for the raw milk community and movement. And yeah, I mean, I would buy raw milk off the grocery store shelf in California if I knew it was coming from him. 
um, or another small local farm. You can always contact the farm. You can ask mm. them questions, but the states that do require, or the, the states that do allow it to be put on the grocery store shelves, um, they're working hand in hand with their local government and regulators. So it's, it's a different world, right? So the FDA never sets foot on the farm where I get my milk from because it's a private sale, whereas mm. you're purchasing in the grocery store. And so they are subject to that jurisdiction. And so there is some communication there, not saying one's better mm. than the other, but it's absolutely beautiful, like raw dairy that I highly, highly recommend. I love that. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to have to do part two where I basically just interrogate you on every component of every ingredient and everything you can buy. But this is so helpful and really incredible. And I'm super excited um, to get my hands on all the resources that you have. So also where can everyone find you and snag like this new framework? When's that coming out? Um, I, so it's either going to be November or December, depending on, I think I want to get the front cover shop. So I have it written, but I, I want to, my artistic desire to like have a really beautiful book is like kick, kicking in. So I want to get the, I want to get a photo shoot on the books. Um, so sometime at the end of this year, 2023, the real food framework will be available. Um, that'll be PDF and hopefully through a print partner, you'll, you'll have an option to buy it printed too, which will be really, really fun. Um, but the rest of my resources and, and, and that are all at homegrowneducation.org. Um, we have a YouTube channel where you can find us on YouTube, Homegrown Education. We have a podcast called the Homegrown Podcast, and we're over on Instagram at homegrown underscore education. Amazing. Thank you so much, so much. You're the best. Yeah, this was so fun. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.